0: Well, good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm Dennis, one of the pastors here. Um, This has always just been like a tradition in churches that I've gone to on Easter. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church that may do this, where you say, like, He is risen, and everyone says He is risen indeed. Can we just have a little moment of, like, participation that feels like we're in it together here, that I'm not just going to talk at you but we're, we're together in this moment. He is risen. risen there we go. Thank you very much. Um, so every February in the northern Italian city of Avrea there is a carnival. The carnival lasts for one week and the final three days of that carnival are known as and set aside for The Battle of the Oranges. Store owners cover the faces of their shops with plastic sheets. Windows throughout the city squares are fortified with plywood. And in several piazzas, which is an Italian word for an open square, think market square in downtown, eight-foot-tall walls of crates are constructed. And these crates are filled with oranges. Every year, throughout the three-day battle of the oranges, nearly 8,000 people who live in the city of Avrea break into nine different teams. And over the course of the three days of the battle of the oranges, they hurl approximately 900 tons of oranges at each other. While 8,000 people are throwing oranges at each other, thousands more people are watching and participating it's considered to be the largest food fight in all of italy but it's also more than a food fight it's also the way the city's way of remembering and retelling its history in the 13th century avrea was controlled by an evil marquis a marquis that oppressed the people and controlled the land and exploited the people and their labor and their resource. He went to great lengths to demonstrate to the people that everything in the region belonged to him. Going so far as to kidnapping women on the night of their wedding and then returning them to their soon-to-be husbands is a way of reminding the wife and the husband, you can go ahead and get married, but I'm in control of your life at all times. Now, this battle of the oranges, it's, it's a mix of history and a little bit of legend. And the legend goes like this, that in the 13th century, a young woman was kidnapped on the night of her wedding named Violetta, and she fought back against the evil and oppressive Marquis, and she ultimately killed the Marquis, ending his oppressive and exploitative reign of evil over all of these people. And the townspeople, so inspired by Violetta, they rise up against the marquis's forces. And over the course of the next three days, the townspeople drive. The Marquis forces out of the region of Ivrea. And in doing so, they secure their own liberation. They rise up and find freedom from exploitation and oppression and darkness and evil. The Battle of the Oranges over the course of three days, 8,000 people from the city, break into nine different teams and play the role of the townspeople. Hundreds of people dress up like medieval soldiers and they are carted around the city in chariots. And they ride into these piazzas where these teams of people are waiting for them with their baskets of oranges and they throw these oranges at these people playing the role of the Marquis forces as a way of reenacting and remembering and retelling their story of liberation. One of the nine teams is known as the revolutionaries. And on the night before the Battle of the Oranges begins, the revolutionaries gather in their designated town square. They have a large communal dinner. Thousands of people gathered together in this one space. And on the buildings that surround the town square, Where all of these folks are gathered, they hang banners. And on every one of the banners is the exact same quote. It reads, in the heart of the battle, we are never alone. Isn't that something we long for? To know, to really know that in the heart of whatever battle we might be facing that we are not facing it alone. And yet the reality for so many of us as we bring ourselves to a day like Easter is that we feel like we've been abandoned. We feel like we've been forgotten. Newspapers report on the epidemic of loneliness that exists in our country. People feel isolated. And even though things are hard, even though things feel dark and heavy, even though we're not always sure that we're going to make it through, even though it feels that we are hard pressed on every side, I think we all cling to the hope. That even as the battle rages all around us, even as it feels like we might be overtaken or overwhelmed by everything that we are facing, we hope that we're not alone in the fight, that we're being carried, that our victor is near. We want to believe it, but is it true? Last week on Palm Sunday, Pastor Shaq walked us through the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is the first day of the week of the year that the church traditionally refers to as Holy Week, the week that leads into Easter where we remember and retell Jesus' death and resurrection. The week of Holy Week We don't know much about what happens on Monday or Tuesday of his final week. We do know that on Wednesday, Judas sought out the chief priests. I mentioned this in the reflection that we sent in our newsletter this week. It stands out to me that on Wednesday, the chief priests didn't go looking for Judas, Judas went looking for them. Judas sought them out. And the gospel writers are clear that the chief priests are surprised when Judas shows up. On Thursday of Holy Week, Jesus gathered with his disciples for what we know as the Last Supper. And it's there that he instituted something that Katie Long is going to lead us through in a few moments, communion. On Friday, Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He's crucified and and buried. And on Saturday, Jesus is in the grave. The chief priests and religious leaders believe that after three years of trying to contain, quiet, and kill Jesus, they finally succeeded. The disciples spend the day in hiding, believing Everything is lost, experiencing utter despair and desolation. And the women, on Saturday, they hold vigil outside Jesus' tomb. They're the only ones who seem to hold out hope that Jesus might actually do what he said he would do. And then Sunday arrives. The first day of the Jewish week, the third day since Jesus had been killed and buried. Matthew tells the story of that Sunday this way. He writes, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men, which is apparently an ancient way of saying they fainted. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. Clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The two Marys go to Jesus' tomb, hopeful, wondering if maybe, just maybe, he would really rise from the dead like he had promised them he would. There's an earthquake. An angel appears, rolls away the stone to Jesus' tomb, and sits down. I don't know if you've noticed this or paid attention to this. The angel sits down when no one is yet at the tomb. The angel of the Lord is waiting, church, waiting to see if anyone will come. Waiting to tell whoever might come that Jesus isn't there, that he's risen from the dead, that he really is who he said he was, that he really is the long awaited Messiah and Lord, that he really is the Savior and King that they had hoped he would be, that everything they had ever hoped and believed was true. The Marys arrive. And the angel greets them and says to them, he isn't here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see. I love that the Easter story is experiential. The angel doesn't just deliver some facts and hope they believe it. The angel tells them what has happened and then says, you can come and look with your own eyes you can see the evidence and proof that he's not here. Church, can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine what the Marys felt? To see an angel and have him say, he's risen, he's not here, just look. And then in their excitement and in their joy, Matthew tells us they hurry away from the tomb to go and tell the other disciples who are not there. And as they're on their way to tell the disciples, Jesus meets them. He meets them. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Do not be alarmed. Do not carry fear. Go and tell my brothers that I'll be waiting for them in Galilee. Mark, in his gospel, He tells us this about that moment where Mary goes to find the disciples. He records it this way. Mary Magdalene went and told those who had been with him, the disciples, and who were mourning and weeping. They were mourning and weeping. The women go to the tomb and the men are mourning and weeping. When they, Jesus' brothers, heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. The disciples, it seems, believed Jesus was just another failed messianic pretender who clashed with the Roman Empire and lost the battle. In Deuteronomy, Moses makes it pretty clear. People who die on trees, like Jesus did, are either traitors or blasphemers. God's true Messiah doesn't die on a cross. It's as though the crucifixion becomes an obstacle that the disciples' faith cannot scale. And so when Mary arrives with the good news of Jesus' resurrection, she finds people who had lost all hope who believed the world had won, that the kingdom of God, if it was even real, was not big enough or strong enough to overcome the power of the empire, that darkness prevailed, and the battle was over. Maybe it's just me. But the people in this story that I most identify with, that I get the most, are the disciples. There are days where hope in Jesus feels almost futile. Where my own darkness and struggle feels like it's too much to overcome. Where the brokenness in my own personal relationships feels irreparable. Where I have absolutely no idea how to parent my children to grow up to be functional adults, let alone good people. And so there are days where believing that Jesus is real, that the story is true, there are days that that feels really hard. Is it just me, or does so much of life today feel like a battle? A battle that it seems certain we're set to lose. Much like the seeming inevitability of Rome's final victory over Jesus, a final victory that even Jesus' closest followers thought was decisive and final, it can feel like it's only a matter of time before our own modern world achieves its inevitable victory over us. Rising prices squeezing our already strained financial resource Artificial intelligence that seems ready to make us irrelevant or unnecessary. I mean, I don't know if you saw this story, but ChatGPT got a B in an Ivy League MBA program. Mental health struggles that we just cannot overcome relationships broken along political lines, culture wars raging against the vulnerable and marginalized people. We love the ever-present challenge of raising children in today's world where my oldest daughter cannot figure out why she will not get social media until she turns 16 years old. I tell her it's because her mother is a pediatrician. but that I'm pulling for her. <laughs> The search for a life partner, where we're reduced to a quick glance and a swipe. The ongoing pain of the people we've loved and lost. The ongoing confusion of questions that we have that sit deep in our hearts that we just don't know how to answer. Even our own insecurities and imperfections and failures that we're afraid to tell others about, it all feels like a battle with an inevitable outcome. Since we cannot overcome the world, we'll be crushed by it. We can tell ourselves all we want that we'll be like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and not be burned by the fiery furnace of life. We can drive our cars, buy our clothes, live in our homes, medicate away our struggles, and for a while stave off the darkness that seems ready to exact its inevitable victory. But church, in the heart of the battle, we are never alone. We have a Savior who not only came for us, but overcame for us. Jesus absorbed all the worst the world could offer, all of the darkness and despair, all of our sin and brokenness, and overcame it. Church, in the heart of the battle, we are never alone. We have the Lord and Messiah, King Jesus, with us. We have one another. We can find strength, and we can build courage, and we can enter every battle with hope. It might feel like we're being crushed. It might look like our neighbors are being crushed. It might feel like the world's final victory is all but inevitable, but the world's seeming victory in light of Jesus' resurrection is all a mirage. The world isn't going to win. We aren't going to be crushed. Because in the heart of the battle, we are never alone. Because in the heart of our battles, we are being carried by the victor. Church, there is a foregone conclusion. There is an inevitable outcome. And foundational to our faith, it's this. Jesus wins. It always was this way. It always will be this way. Jesus wins. Easter is our way of remembering our history, it's a way of retelling our future. Because Easter reminds us that in the heart of every battle we face, we are being carried by the victor. Now, I'm not sharing this with you in some triumphalist sort of way. I don't mean that because Jesus rose from the dead, the moment we leave here, every hard aspect of our lives is all of a sudden going to become sunshine and rainbows. What I mean is that when we leave here today, when we return to our homes and our families, all of the hard things we've been walking through, all of the difficult and painful relationships, all of the fears and worries and doubts, they'll remain And Easter reminds us they don't get the final say. Jesus does. Easter reminds us that Paul's words recorded in the New Testament are true. In fact, I would say that it's Jesus' resurrection that proves Paul's words are true. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side. But not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed because of Jesus' victory over the cross. We will be hard pressed, church, and we will not be crushed we will be at a complete loss at times and yet not left to despair. We will be oppressed and harassed but not abandoned. We will be knocked down and yet not ruined. In every battle we face, we can know and trust that Jesus does not leave us alone in it Jesus' resurrection enables us to endure all things with hope and expectation that He will be with us in the midst of our pain and struggle and that He's leading us through it to a new and eternal promised land. We'll experience moments of incomprehensible joy and deep pain. We'll know moments of great success and complete failure because this is what it means to follow Jesus. Because the life of Jesus is marked by incomprehensible joy and deep pain. Because the life of Jesus is marked by great success and moments of complete humiliation. In light of the resurrection, we get to face and endure everything knowing there is a foregone conclusion. There is an inevitable outcome. Jesus wins. It always was this way. It will always be this way. Easter is our way of remembering our history and retelling our future that no matter what we face, it will not overtake us, it will not overwhelm us, it will not crush us, because Jesus has already won. In the heart of every battle, we are never alone. In the heart of every battle we face, we are carried by the victor the day we enter that new and eternal promised land. Because church, Jesus has already won the final victory. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that we can be gathered in this space, that we can be reminded through your resurrection that you've overcome all things. And that as we follow after you, we follow after you with the promise and assurance that you are with us, that we will not be crushed, and that there is victory. Father, thank you for this moment, this historical moment where Jesus rose from the dead. Father, our faith hinges on this reality. So Father, thank you for this reality that Jesus rose and that he is alive and at work in and through us in this world. Father, we love you I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to participate in communion and Katie Long is going to lead us through that moment.